Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. To learn more about Believer's Church, where our mission is to lead broken people to become fully devoted followers of Christ, you can visit our website at believerschurch.tv. Listen in as Pastor Matt Smith brings this week's message. Some of my some of my favorite songs actually that we that we that we did this morning. So I'm going to try to get it together a little bit. All right. So and I also just have a tremendous amount to be thankful for. I remember uh, the way it felt whenever I would take a drink of bourbon. That's usually not how you start a message. I remember the way it felt when I would take a drink of bourbon, and I remember the warmth. Uh, that entered my body as my anxiety uh, began to numb. It was wonderful at the time, but it was never enough. It was never enough. I remember a period of time whenever my wife and I had the opportunity uh, with our oldest daughter, um, as well as a lot of students, and sometimes just us, and sometimes just me, travel all over Europe uh, for the course of uh, five or six years, the experience of new cultures, new people. It was absolutely amazing, but it only created still a longing uh, for more. I'm regularly reminded of the beautiful moments of parenthood and the ups and the downs and the struggles and the laughter and the memories and everything that goes with that. As great as it is, it's still not enough. One of the most amazing things that I have ever heard in my life came from Dr. Vincent Felitti. He said this when speaking about the power of addiction. He said, it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. It's really hard to get enough of something that almost works. And so many of us and so many people in our society find ourselves over and over if we're chasing the American dream, if we're chasing the car that we want, the job that we want, that drug, that person, whatever it might be, it's really hard to get enough of something that just almost makes the cut or almost works. We're in part five. It's hard to believe we're all the way in part five. We're in part five of the seven-week series titled Eternity is Now in Session. We are discussing salvation, eternal life, and what it means to get in the good place. Because ultimately, that's what everybody's concerned about. They want to make sure that they get in the good place. We want to highlight what I'm calling some important misconceptions about what it means to know Jesus and what it means to speak of heaven and eternity. So today, I want to go ahead and prepare you. I believe that today, in week five of seven is the most difficult week. It's the most difficult week to hear out of all of the other weeks and all of the other topics that are so important that we have been uh, talking about. Because we're really getting into this unselfing that we mentioned last week in quite a bit of detail and what we would actually call purgation. So if there's a topic today, it's this topic of purgation, and this is the process of becoming pure. All right, so last week we talked about having this awakening within. We have this recognition that we've depleted all of our resources and we can't do it on our own, but there's something that comes next. It's an undoing 
of self. All right, now the place that a lot of people stop uh, whenever they start to have an emotional response during a church service or they're going through a difficult time in their life and they recognize that they may need something that is greater than themselves, whenever you start to talk about this unselfing, or whenever you start to talk about this process of getting rid of the problems that are actually within you, most people don't want anything to do with that because the cost is so great. Yet they want to continue to believe in this place called heaven. They want to continue to believe that one day this is a place that they are going to be without going through this process of becoming pure. And let me say this also, this is not an overnight process. All right, now, you may have an experience with Jesus, what we often call a conversion experience, and you know that your thinking is different. You know that you see the world differently. But primarily what we're talking about with that is the awakening that we talked about last week. But next comes the really, really difficult part in which we have to start making sacrifices in our lives in order to become pure. So as we read our passage today, we find Jesus explaining to the disciples what contaminates a person's life. To give you a little bit of background in Mark chapter 7, which is where we're going to be, to give you just a little bit of background, the Pharisees are trying to tell or trying to ask Jesus' Jesus's disciples, why is it that your disciples don't wash their hands as far as a purification rite in the Torah that we find in Exodus 17 through 21? Why is it that they are not washing their hands before they eat? Now, most of you, you're going to criticize and judge other people if they don't wash their hands before they eat, especially right now with COVID-19 going on. People are making sure that they wash their hands, they sanitize their hands, but sometimes it's recognized or noticed that the disciples are not doing this. So immediately what the Pharisees do is they go to the law, and they really shouldn't have done that. And the reason they shouldn't have done that is because Jesus takes the opportunity to really hit them uh, where it hurts. All right, so ridding ourselves of this contamination that Jesus is going to talk about, which is much deeper than clean hands, is a central part of this journey. And this is one thing that I guess you need to understand about all seven parts of this. You can't get four of the seven right. All right, you can't like knock two of them out of the ballpark and then miss the other five. There's a process that you go through as a child of God. There is a process that you go through if you are experiencing he heaven here on earth before you actually go there. So what we need to make sure that we can check off as this series ends is that we're seven for seven. And if we're not seven for seven, we can closely examine and make the changes that we need to make in our hearts and lives. So Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be, and we're going to look at verses 20 uh, through 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 23, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 23. So this is what Jesus is saying at the criticism uh, that is coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite. He says, it's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight. All right, so it's not about your hands it's not about your outward appearance. It's not about how good you may look as you're going around in the marketplaces and in the streets, in this case, and trying to tell people how to live. It's not how good you look whenever you show up on Sunday morning at any given church. 
It's not the goodness on the outside that you try to present to your family, your coworkers, maybe the perfect stranger, whatever that looks like, but there's actually something that is on the inside that needs fixed. All right, this thing on the inside within all of us, it must be fixed. And people hate this. All right, they hate this because we live in a society today, Generation Z, millennials, they don't want to be told anything is wrong with them. All right, everything is acceptance. Everything is found in self-identity. I just want to be me. All right? When that's actually the antithesis of what the gospel message is when Jesus says to crucify yourself. Passages that we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked specifically about following. Okay, so this is what he goes on to say. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. And then he gives us some examples. And this is not an exhaustive list, okay? This is just some examples. Sexual sins, thefts, murders, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things, and listen, he's telling this to the religious elite, people that are supposed to know more than him, all of these things come from the, imp, uh, the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. So Jesus here, what Jesus is doing, he is explaining the part that so many of us want to conveniently ignore. Purgation is the process in which God is working sin out of our system. All right, so you make a profession of faith. You decide through whatever event, you were 15 years old at a, at a church revival, you were having a conversation in college, and someone led you to Christ. You were a child, and your parents explained the gospel. You're 35, 40 years old. You've come to the end of yourself. You've had all of these issues. It's not simply about a decision that you make in the moment. After that, what, what happens is that there is a process that begins of working sin out of your system. There are things that, that didn't bother me whenever I first accepted Christ at 16. They started to bother me at 18. There are things that didn't bother me at 18 that whenever I was 30 years old, I recognized this can't be in my life. Even recently, things that I didn't even think were an issue years before, God has said, this is the next thing. This is the next hump. This is the next thing that you are supposed to overcome and grow through in your life because it is a constant process, literally, of having the hell burned out of you. All right, that's literally what this means. And that's very, very difficult for people to admit and very difficult for people to understand because this idea of sin is not talked about the way that it used to be. So we're willing to maybe acknowledge it, but we don't want to deal with it. So I want you to think about the, the common church. And listen, I'm not, I'm not the kind of pastor, and I think you guys know this at this point by now, that is going to get up every Sunday with the Bible and beat everybody to death about their sin and tell them how bad they are. All right? That's, that's not what I do. All right? And that's not when Jesus has been the most effective in my life. It's always been love that has driven me, not fear. But the point that I'm making is this. We're not talking about sin anymore. We literally don't talk about it. And I will guarantee you, if you talk to a lot of your kids, if they were born 1996 or they're younger, sin is like a really, really bad word. All right, sin is something they don't want to be told they're a sinner. There are some of you in here that maybe in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you don't want to be told that you're a sinner. 
Because we like to believe that we have everything all together at all times. It's just some, something that we don't want to approach. We lack the ability to recognize or admit that we don't measure up to God's standards. All right, last week what we said is he is God and we are not. All right, that's what we talked about last week. And a lot of people, they're really, really scared, even though they say they honor God. Even they'll say, you know, when I go to work, on my way to work, I pray. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll look at the Bible. I, I try to live the best way that I can. But when we talk about actual surrender in the individual life, things become very scary. And I think if we looked at, and, and uh, different websites do this and researchers do this, but I think if we looked at words that go into fashion and then also words that go out of fashion, meaning over time there are words or phrases that we use less and less, if we were to consider the word sin, I think as a society we would see that the word sin is actually used less and less and less. So when Jesus speaks of sin, I can promise you that he has the disciples' attention. But let's be honest. Let's be real honest. Sin doesn't pack the punch it once did. It just doesn't. All right, people become really, really uncomfortable talking about it. And if you really want to honestly confess your sins or you want to see what church should look like, let's, let's be real for just a second. All right, let's be very, very real. All right, often whenever we come to church, we have the ability to hide. All right, I have no idea what's going on in your heart. I have no idea what's going on in your life. And it feels wonderful to raise our hands and worship and praise. But through your week, I have no idea what goes on. And I don't know what you carried in here this morning. I don't know if there is something that you're really, really regretting from last night that is on your mind right now. I don't know if you're so full of depression and anxiety that you barely made it into the room. I don't know if there is something that you have hidden deep inside of you that your spouse doesn't know about or that your kids don't know about. Because if we have ever lived in a time in which we want to sweep those things under the rug, now is that time. It's that time. So if you want to see what church should look like, all right, and I'm just being as, as honest with you as I can. This is, this is where I come from. If you want to see what church should look like, go to an AA meeting sometime. Or go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. Or go to an NA meeting. And when you see people sitting around in a circle with, minus the language, all right? But if you want to see people sitting around in a circle that have absolutely nothing to lose, and they're talking about all the junk and all the garbage that is in their lives, is that not what church is really supposed to look like? Like church is supposed to look like a basement recovery meeting. Like not like this fancy looking place where we can step in and simply socialize with our friends and leave completely unchanged. That's not the way church was ever intended. If you look back to the first century, to the breaking of bread with the Eucharist, to the open confession of sin, there wasn't even someone in front of you like me, you know, telling you what to do. It was a time of open confession in which they loved everyone and could come together as a body of Christ to see the world changed. So maybe we need to take into consideration where we are because church has really become as comfortable as almost any other place you can imagine. 
All right, so the reason that I'm suggesting this is because there is a vulnerability and there is an honesty that just quite frankly most of us don't live with. Why? Insecurity, fear of being judged. If people find that out about me, they're, they're not going to want me to serve in the church anymore. They're not going to lift me up in prayer. The unfortunate truth is that some will not. But here we will. So whenever we create that atmosphere in which there's that vulnerability and there's that honesty, we are actually having church. So imagine the freedom. Imagine the freedom, and, and I really love this in a small group setting. Imagine the freedom if you could openly admit your addiction to pornography. Wouldn't feel like freedom at first. But it would feel like freedom when other people in the room started to open up. Imagine the freedom that you could experience if you could admit your hunger for more and more stuff. Imagine the freedom you could experience if you could admit the greed you practice over your own bank account. Imagine the freedom that you could experience if you confess the lies that you tell your parents and your kids or maybe your spouse. Imagine the freedom you could feel if you could confess the hatred that you harbor toward the opposing political party or toward other groups of people that are maybe not like you. Imagine the freedom that you could experience if you could talk about the insecurities you hide through status and accomplishment and trying to achieve more and more and more. If eternity or heaven are going to be a reality, we must allow Jesus into the broken places of our lives so those broken places can be healed. Now again, the issues that we have, the problems that we have, is we find it very convenient to hide these places. We find it very, I can say this because I've done the exact same thing. I've been in the exact same situation that so many of you are in right now, and others of you in here that can say, man, it feels good to openly confess my sin. It feels good. There, there are few principles as biblical as getting a few of your brothers and sisters together, or maybe in some cases your pastor or church leaders, and openly confessing what is wrong within you. You see, this is how the hell is burned out of you, not by keeping these things deep down inside. There's a tremendous amount of freedom in admitting that we don't have it all together, because I can tell you right now, I don't have it all together. Most of us don't want to admit that anything is wrong with us. We justify our behavior through our very, very sad religiosity. Prior to our passage in Mark, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who were complaining because the disciples didn't wash their hands. Again, the basis for this hand washing in Judaism is originally related to temple service that we find in the Torah in Exodus 17 through 21. But Jesus is not concerned with clean hands. In fact, Clean hands are actually a distraction from what is going on in the heart. This is what he says in verses 20 and 21. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight. It's what comes out of them. It's the inner life. It's what we do have an ability to hide. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight. It's from the inside 
It's from the human heart. doesn't matter if you're a pastor. doesn't matter if you're a church leader. doesn't matter if you're an upstanding citizen. doesn't matter if you're here every single week. None of those things matter because we can decorate the outside, but we can't decorate the inside. So this must be our focus in the discussion of salvation. Again, the old discussion, not streets of gold or pearly gates or things that are far off, though those things are very important, but the condition of our hearts and our inner person in the here and now. Remember, it's not about getting you into heaven. It's about getting heaven into you. It's not about up there. It's about bringing up there down here. And I want to make you a promise today. There are a lot of people, and maybe even people in this room, that will convince you that they have everything together. You know how you look at the perfect Facebook life? Like, they have the most wonderful family. People, Beth, people probably saw us on our cruisers last Sunday night, on our bicycles. Oh, that, that wholesome Smith family. We're a mess. And you're a mess. Most of you in here, those of you that you see people and you think, they seem to have that perfect Instagram life. Everything looks perfect, but the story is that they are a mess. They've just found a way to make it with clean hands while never actually examining the condition of their hearts. And they hide it, and they hide it, and they bury it, and bury it. Which brings me to the greatest problem with all of us and especially those that are trying to hide. The biggest issue that we have in regards to sin denial is pride. It's pride. And you may say to yourself, I've gotten past pride in my life. That's a very prideful statement. All right? It's like, like one of my friends, a pastor that we were talking about not long ago, he said, you know, I sat down and talked to my wife, and, you know, she said, I'm really humble. No, you're not. You're talking about how humble you are. All right, you're not humble. All right, I love this guy. He's one of my best friends, but, and he told it as a joke. But it's this issue uh, with pride. Okay, as I said earlier, we lack the ability to recognize or admit that we simply don't measure up to God's standards as we are. And what we say, this is what we like to say, there is nothing wrong with me. And we justify our behavior by saying, I am not as bad as her, or I am not as bad as him. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience, as far as conversion, as far as seeing someone that didn't know Jesus and, and, and then comes to know Jesus, it's wonderful to see someone that has, has, has cheated on their spouse or, well, that's not wonderful to see, but I'm talking about the conversion. All right, it's wonderful to see someone that struggled with addiction. It's wonderful to see someone that is in a bad place that all of a sudden changes. That's beautiful. But nothing is, is beautiful. Nothing is as amazing as watching that really prideful person that would never believe in God that would never admit there was anything wrong with them. There is no more evidence of God from the perspective of conversion than to watch that pride crash down. I have never seen anything like it. There is nothing like watching the proud completely lose that and, and, and be honest enough to say, I am reckless. All right, South African pastor Andrew Murray, he said this. I love this, all right? I'll say it twice just in case you want to write it down. 
pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. All right, I'll say that one more time. Pride must die in you or nothing in heaven can live in you. Please understand this. The disciples willingly followed Jesus. They didn't want something that almost worked. It wasn't a situation in which they looked at their lives and said, I can't believe I have to give up this. Because this is the issue that the majority of people have. When people make the decision, and you're going to agree with this because at one time in your life, if you became a Christian as an adult, you'll agree with this. One of the reasons that people fail to accept Christ, or one of the reasons that people refuse to take the journey any further, is because they believe they are going to have to give up their stuff and the life that they are going to have in Christ is going to be boring and can't possibly compete with what they had. Would you agree with that? That's where most people are. Okay, I'm not going to take this step. I can only go so far with this because if I have to give up this relationship with this, with this woman or this man, or if I have to give up a job because of the way my situation is, if I have to do this or even small things in our life, if I have to sacrifice these things, well, I'm simply not going to do it. That is pride speaking. And pride is what often keeps us from this relationship with God. It's really hard for some people today to look in the mirror. And this is where this AA thing really comes in strong because we have to like openly confess, I am an alcoholic, I am this, I am that. But it's really hard for people to look in the mirror and say, like legitimately look in the mirror, not that you do this on a regular basis, but if you had to, and say, I am a sinner. Now, I don't think there's too many people that are in the room right now that would struggle with that, all right? But you know that there are people that you work with that would. You know that there are people in your family that would. You know that there are people that you know very well that would, all right? So I want us to practice something just for those of you that are comfortable with this. If you're not comfortable with this, don't do this, but this is what we're going to do. We are going to say together, I am a sinner, because I want to tell you why. There's a certain amount of relief in knowing that we simply cannot do it on our own. So if you're not comfortable, you don't have to participate. And I know we're all scattered around, so it's probably not going to be very loud. But to count of three, we're going to try this together, all right, in unison. One, two, I didn't even do the count good, all right? I'm not even good with rhythm. One, two, three. I am a sinner. Now do something about it. I'm just kidding. All right, no. But so we are sinners, all right, we can say that, we can admit that, and we have to tell ourselves that. Now, what I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to take this just a little step further, all right? Sometimes I struggle with comparison, and I believe, I think it's because of what I've experienced in the past, that I am past my prime for God's use. I fight the need for validation, and recognition often. Sometimes I get angry with my kids simply because I'm having a bad day and it has nothing to do with them. Sometimes my focus is on the wrong things. I can be a perfectionist, a people pleaser, and impatient when things don't happen fast enough. I can be controlling, controlling over a process, 
controlling over an outcome, controlling over things getting in my way. I tell God I'm sorry, and then I do it again. I can be jealous of the success of others. I can be insecure and act out my insecurity, still not certain of even what I'm insecure about. I can beat myself up over bad sermons, even though people tell me it was the word they needed that day. I can judge other theologies, other people, other churches, and other viewpoints. I can be obsessed over getting the last word, being the hero, and having the spotlight. I can't stop thinking about food. Callie, don't laugh. Ever. Even when I'm full, I'm thinking about the next meal. Sometimes quiet, alone time with God feels scary, and the sound of silence is loud and deafening. I cringe at the thought of being second place at anything. I'm sometimes uncomfortable with rest and feel that my need to produce is where my worth is found instead of finding my worth in Jesus. I can admit that I'm a mess and that I am a work in progress. And this is not even the tip of the iceberg. This is what I felt comfortable saying in front of you and whoever's listening. I am a sinner. I am broken. And this many years into my faith, it is still in my system being worked out so that I can be pure. Even though David was called a man after God's own heart, I can't imagine what he went through whenever he screwed up with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed. But we see David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, and I want to share this with you, just a little bit of it because it's so beautiful. He says, have mercy on me. You know what David is saying? I don't have it all together. I'm not going to pretend that I have it all together. I have screwed up. I have made a mistake, and I need purification within me. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely of my guilt. This is purgation. This is what this means. Wash me completely of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside of me. Is this not exactly what Jesus was talking about? You see, what David needed, as amazing as his ministry and his leadership was, was that he still needed the hell burned out of him. And you will be hard-pressed to find a better biblical example. This is purgation. And this is David having the hell burned out of his system. And you want to know one of the most common statements that I hear from people, and I've already mentioned it today. Whenever you're talking to people, or this is how, the, this is how we work psychologically. Whenever we consider heaven, hell, all these questions... People who go to church, people who don't go to church, good people, bad people, all these people. This is what we say, and this is what we live by. I'm not as bad as him. 
at least I'm not as bad as her. I never treated my kids that way. I never did that to my husband. Well, she's only in church about once a month. Well, she talks about everybody in town, not knowing that we are judged based on our merits and not on what other people do. So what about you and where you are this morning when we talk about this process of becoming pure within? Because I know for a fact, if you're in here right now and you're a follower of Jesus and you're a believer in Christ, there is one area of your life, there is one hump that he is telling you you must get over if you're going to take that next step. Scary part is some of you have been at that hump for 15 years. You've been in that place. I mean, if you can't look at your life and see identifiable growth and if people can't see Matt Smith, you're not the same way you were in 2002. You're not the same way you were in 2007. You weren't the same way you were six months ago because you're constantly walking further and further and further into eternity because that's where we're supposed to be. Do you want to go to heaven in the middle of your sin? I mean, if we realistically look at what heaven is like and what we're, where we're going, do we want to enter heaven right in the middle of all of our junk that God is? placed on our hearts to deal with. I hear people talk about going to heaven when they die and believing in God, but are you actually going through what we talked about last week with that unselfing process? Are you actually going through that unselfing process? Is it something in your life in which, number two, are you literally having the hell burned out of you? I remember uh, being in a recovery meeting years ago, and we were, we were spilling our guts. When you're on the bottom, you don't have anything to lose. And I think that's the problem. Some people, some people don't know what the bottom feels like. I, I recommend you live at the bottom. That's, that's, that's my personal viewpoint. But a lot of people, they want to convince themselves they don't need to be there. So I, I remember in this recovery meeting years ago, we were spilling our guts, and, and, and there, there was this guy and I can't remember his name, he was around my age, but he started sharing. And he discussed his difficulty staying clean. But I'll never forget these words that he said. He, he had uh, drug issues. He said, my worst and hardest days sober are better than my best days of being high. All right, so I'm going to say that again. Uh, my worst and hardest days of being sober are better than my best days of being high. Because he recognized something. He's saying his suffering and surrender were better than the selfishness in his life that he was placing upon himself and other people. So he understood something in that moment. It's hard to get enough of something that almost works. And there's some of you in here, there's no doubt in my mind, you're, you're looking everywhere. And you're trying over and over again, trying to get enough of something that almost works. Please hear this today. Jesus works. He works. You're an addict. Jesus works. You're a selfish husband. Jesus works. You're a neglectful mother. Jesus works. You feel lonely and forgotten. 
Jesus works. You're broken and you don't know what to do next. Jesus works. Bread from heaven, living water, every single time. It works every single time. So as you find yourself in your life right now, if you're on this journey, or if you desire to enter this journey, that as you approach that horrible relationship that you shouldn't be in, that drug of your choice, whatever it is that you may be spending on, watching, or whatever it is that you're concentrated on, it's always going to be too hard and difficult to get enough of something that almost works. Jesus works. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you uh, this morning. We lift you up. We praise your name. And God, I don't think there's, there's any question as we consider the power of sin and the domination of sin in our lives, which, which often does not have an outward manifestation like anger or addiction or um, some of those kinds of problems, but are sometimes buried deep inside of us and are found in our level of control that we refuse to give up. The way that we treat our, our children or our spouse behind closed doors. Father, I pray for the process of purgation this morning. And I pray, Father, symbolically, maybe as people are seated, if they just want to take their hands out just a little bit, not come to an altar right now, but if they just want to take their hands out right now because they know that there's something that they need to give to you. Father, help them to use their hands right now as a way of turning things over. No one's looking. No one has a desire to make fun of anyone because, Father, every single person that is in this room right now has issues. And God, there is something that I understand and that I know that our leadership understands and I believe most of us here understand. Believer's Church is not going to move forward uh, because of the next great idea or because we uh, go to a particular conference or because we mimic uh, what another church is doing. But it will be through the confession of our sin. And through dealing with the problems that are within our own hearts, that are contaminating our own hearts, that will make us clean and will make us journey forward before you. Father, those with their hands out now, I lift them up, Father. In the name of Jesus, I lift them up with the struggles that they have. Father, um, rudeness, anger, doubt, fear, anxiety, uh, pornography, um, adultery, uh, father stealing, whatever it might look like, God, dishonesty, lying, whatever it might look like, so that these things can be turned over to you. And we'll ask these things in your son's name. Amen. You guys stand back up with us. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit our Believers Church Facebook page or our website at believerschurch.tv. If you enjoyed this message, 
please make sure to subscribe and join us next week as we continue our mission to lead broken people to become fully devoted followers of Christ.